The reason I ride, and I think the reason, I mean, I, don't, I won't speak for everyone, like there's many reasons we, we ride, uh, but the reason that I ride and a lot of our owners ride and a lot of other people ride is they want to experience the sort of augmented reality. And when I say that, I mean a very different thing than a virtual reality. The augmented reality of, rea of the real world. And what a, what a motorcycle can do is it's a machine that, uh, that can help you augment reality. Because what, what is there that's more moving and more powerful than propelling yourself through the world uh, and, and, and to be able to do that with this motor that makes you go faster than you can run that can, and, and being able to control that motor and like to me the most fun thing is like downshifting into a corner. I love that and you know like just ringing a bike out and you can't do that on a, on a you know a Ducati on a little road like you're, you're in second gear. Welcome to the Janus Motorcycles podcast. Our kind of motorcycling is different from what you see from big brands and big bikes. We manufacture classic, simple, small displacement motorcycles because that's what we like to ride. And we're not alone. On this podcast, we talk with some of the smartest and most interesting people we know in motorcycling, design, and manufacturing. We're glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to episode eight of why We Ride, the Janus Motorcycles podcast. I'm Richard Worsham, a co-founder here at Janus and uh, your host of the podcast. Um, in this episode, episode eight, uh, we're gonna do something a little different than we have in the past. Well, actually, two things different. One is, as you can tell so far, I imagine, this is an audio recording without video. Um, it, this just worked out better because we actually are going to be collaborating uh, on this episode with another podcast called Creative Riding. Um, if, in the, if you already are aware of Creative Riding podcast, you will know that they're an audio podcast based in Los Angeles and that they've already published their version of the same recording. If not, this is your first introduction to Creative Riding and I welcome you to uh, and encourage you to check out their funky uh, new different kind of uh power sports reporting <laughs> if we can call it that anyway uh as a sort of brief introduction to creative writing i was looking for other podcasts to kind of collaborate with and just kind of created a list and went down it and one of the one of the podcasts that i found was creative writing and contacted them kind of through their email you know contact form and got a response back from junkie uh, who is the main host over there, and uh, we started a conversation, and it just so happened that he had run into several Janices in the wild out in the Los Angeles area, and that he was uh, had talked to some owners and was already familiar with the brand and interested in learning more. Um, so we struck up immediately a great conversation uh, via email, and in, about a month later, I headed out to Los Angeles for a press trip to meet up with um, Jeff Buchanan from Roadrunner Magazine to test ride and review both our 450 and 250, which incidentally, check our blog, check Roadrunner Magazine, that just went up this week. It's a great little review kind of talking about the 450. Um, I think the 250 review is coming up soon. Anyway, uh, we managed to also meet up in person with Junkie at the Peterson Museum in Los Angeles and had a fantastic morning sitting over coffee talking motorcycles, talking Janus, uh, and then proceeded to ride bikes out of, uh, way. I'm not super familiar with Los Angeles, but from the Peterson Museum up onto Mulholland Drive, 
and got a chance to kind of zip around up there for a little bit. And Junkie got a chance to ride the bikes. We came back down and kind of got lost on the way back, which was amazing and fun uh, in uh, beautiful Los Angeles and in the kind of museum district. And stopped back at the museum, said our farewells, and then uh, and then I got a chance to walk through the Peterson Museum, which is a fantastic uh, museum with cars and motorcycles. And a, it was about the last week of a display on uh, an exhibit on electric motorcycles put on by the Vintagent, also known as Paul d'Orléans, and um, got to do that. So that was really fun. Without further ado, we'll roll right into the interview with Junkie of Creative Riding, in which he uh, kind of turns the microphone around, and instead of me interviewing him, he interviews me. Uh, enjoy. We're doing a little bit of a crossover episode here, and I know you're, you know, you can use this audio as, as well as I can. But I'm hoping that this is sort of a way. Also, you've never interviewed yourself, and and I, I can tell you that none of your guests on your show are going to turn it around and ask you. It's the <laughs> hardest thing for a host to do, right? Is to say, "Hey, ask me some questions." So I'm hoping that through some of this interview, you're listeners also get some of your perspective and get a good interview of you, you know, the, the, you know, one of the co-founders of Janice, you know, and, and get your inside, not just, uh, the people that you also enjoy talking to. So hopefully that's, that's how this works out. sounds good. I hope they don't get too, uh, too bored with hearing, hearing all about me, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, no, they're, they're never going to get the chance. So this is the perfect opportunity for you to toot your own horn a little bit. One of the first questions I have, you already mentioned it a little bit. One of the first questions I had is like, what is your occupation? What are some of your credentials? <laughs> credentials. Good Lord. <laughs> um, so I guess to answer that, I'll just kind of go back to our background with Janice and how I got into it. My background is ex- not, it's probably the, like you say, uh, the, the looking at it in reverse order, uh, it's the opposite of what you would choose to do if you were going to try and get into the power sports uh, <laughs> manufacturing industry. I have a undergrad degree in um, literature and liberal arts from a tiny little school of like a hundred students up in New England, um, and then I went straight from there and got a graduate degree in architecture, specializing in classical architecture, which most people kind of kind of when they hear that they think like buildings with columns on them um which is part of it but it's like the designing buildings like we have for like 99.999 percent of history except since like 1930 Um, yeah it was like art art deco and like modern right (laughs) right except that part uh so my interests have always kind of been focused around the ideas of like tradition uh, classical idea, classical concept of like imitation, which is not copying, um, right. And stuff like that. So anyway, right. The year I graduated from, uh, from Notre Dame with a degree in architecture, I founded a motorcycle company with a buddy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And it, I mean that just knowing that kind of plays into the whole Janice, um, you know, the whole, the whole feel and focus of, of Janice. Um, so basically what you're saying also is that, Unlike ninety nine percent of the people in the power sports industry, you're you're super smart. Like Man, I don't <laughs> know about some, that. You got some degrees, and, and uh, you're, you're, I mean, I think Brad Pitt is the only other guy that likes motorcycles and architecture, possibly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, I don't know if smart and starting a motorcycle company the year you graduate with an architecture <laughs> degree is really those two go together. But anyway, yeah, I had a real interest in um, while I did not grow up riding bikes, um, I 
uh, was I've always been interested in vehicles um, and kind of like right. as a kid designed cars. I had a little brand name, you know, I was like, my idea was more, it was like a dream was to start a vehicle brand um, nice. and, and having a logo and stuff like that was just kind of a cool idea. So it was really kind of fantastical to actually have that happen. But in terms of credentials, to actually answer your question, if there are any carryovers, which I there are between architecture and automotive design, those that's where they lie. Right, <laughs> Everything else right. has been learned on the job. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's fantastic. I mean, that's it's awesome that you can start a company without having to do you know put in decades of research and an adjacent. So, I mean, this is awesome to just jump to know it's to know it can actually succeed uh, for anybody out there that's that's uh, crazy enough to want to start one right out of grad school <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> so. Um, before we get further into your background, I did want to start off with introductions now that, now that we, you know, have been introduced to you and know a little bit about you, you know, you can never remake a first impression. Right. And, and I'm, and I'm sure, I'm not sure what you were expecting when you came out here and, you know, I didn't know, I I knew of Janus motorcycles, but I thought, wow, this is cool that this is like, you can't meet Sochiro Honda. You can't meet, you know, um, any, anybody from these storied brands that are around, um, that have been around for a long time and their, and their founders are long gone, but it's such a, you know, what a great, uh, opportunity to meet, you know, the founder and make an impression on the, the person who started this bespoke company, small company, <laughs> as you say. And well, if so, we ever make it big, it'll be a, a oh, real, it'll <laughs> listen, listen, it's it, to me, to me, uh, just, just succeeding, uh, you know, it, for past a couple of years when a lot of industries can't in, in this current mm-hmm. environment is, is awesome. So when I walked in, we, we agreed to meet at the Peterson, uh, down in LA, which is a fabulous place for anybody automotive or, you know, gearhead to me. It's, it's just a great cafe, a great environment. Museum, I, but Peter, Peterson Automotive Museum, just for our listeners too, right. just so you know. Right. It's a museum they, and they have a little cafe on the side there that uh, they let people like me sneak into. Um, when I walked in, you locked on and I knew you, that you were aware you had the right guy because I'm a little bit greenish, my skin color. I'm four, <laughs> four foot eight on a good day. I had I had kept kind of shuffling my feet, hoping you wouldn't notice that I had platform riding boots on. So <laughs> I, I I may have looked five feet tall, but I'm, I'm tiny. You and your daughter, on the other hand, I'm gonna guess that you're. Uh, I'm gonna take a shot in the dark here. You're seven foot three probably, and she's <laughs> six foot nine respectively. And six, 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 six. six. Okay. Wow. That's her or you? Cause you're, that's you're me. Taller. That's me. Oh, not, not Mara. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so she's, she's close probably you both, um, later on in the day we ride in the two fifty, and you both fit on that amazingly well. So kudos to you for the de- designing the bike, but yeah, you, you're a giant, you know, you guys are, I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And, and, uh, it's like, I was your little kid, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> Then we hit the streets. You're with this little goblin leading the way. And a hundred yards into our trip, I almost smashed your bike into the back of a minivan. And I was like, (laughs) this this is an awesome, this is an awesome first impression. Right. And, um, to be, I I won't get into the whys, but you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know if you were were right next to me and I had the, I hadn't adjusted the mirrors a hundred percent. So I was like, oh crap, I'm going to get over and smash into him. Right. So instead I just, you know, stayed three feet off the bumper of this van who kept slamming on their brakes. Then we head up into Laurel Canyon, and apparently so does a quarter of the L.A. traffic, right? I mean, I forgot how crowded that road gets. So we meander up this uncomfortable hill in this, like, almost stop traffic uh, with both of you on this little 250, right? And then we get up to Mulholland, which was closed because of the um, 
recent landslides. And I actually, some of the, uh, some of the roads up there, you could still see dirt on the road that we were riding on where they had just cleared. So I'm thinking, what a great first impression. What a, <laughs> this is awesome. And then to top it off, I get us lost coming back down the hill, right? Cause I didn't have GPS. So regardless, I mean, all of, all of the crazy stuff that happened, it was one of the best times I've had in a long while because a, I hate the West side and I hardly ever go riding over there, but it was so much fun. And I think it was because we were on Janus. You know what I'm saying? We got some looks. I'm glad to hear that. Lots of people were checking us out. And it was just cool to ride a motorcycle that you never have ridden and that you didn't expect to ride. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the first impression was awesome. For you, I just kept thinking, oh, man, I hope he even comes back to California. I've probably scared <laughs> <laughs> but, But yeah, I mean, it was so much fun. And I just can't wait to dive into the this little motorcycle that you created that you know just despite all the crazy stuff and and being in probably the worst part of la to ride just having a blast uh on these things um first off i have to know what is your motorcycle background your your first motorcycle because you said you didn't get into it until later but you had this fantasy so what was your first motorcycle so my first bike that i was exposed to my my dad actually bought my mother a uh like early eighties, two stroke Vespa, but it was a 50 CC, uh, a little like, um, I forget what the XP 50 or one of the little, little tiny, uh, small frame, uh, Vespas. And we rode that thing all over. I'm from originally from Virginia, all over Richmond, Virginia, um, just terrorized the city on a little, you know, <laughs> 35 miles per hour. Um, yeah. and that was the first introduction. And then I, I had, I think I'd witnessed a motorcycle accident when I was little. And so I was just, was never really interested. I thought it was too dangerous. And it just, what like the, the image of motorcycling that is often portrayed in, I don't know, film or the media is, is, uh, what didn't really appeal to me. And so the, the Vespa kind of got around that. And then, uh, I bought a vintage moped, um, like the nice. old pedal type, um, it was actually an Italian a Gorelli um, and immediately kind of made connections with friends in that community, um, which especially 10, 15 years ago was just this, I think it still is, but it, I haven't really been a part of it in a long time. The moped army was this huge thing. There were clubs all over the um, nice. country. And that's actually how I met the guy I founded Janice with um, when I moved out here to Indiana to, Notre Dame, to go to Notre Dame. I met him because he had a repair shop. And that's how we kind of started thinking about motorcycles and two, well, two-wheeled things, I guess, uh, and started developing the network of craftsmen that would, that would allow us to start Janus. But yeah, that was kind of my background was more, I was, as a kid, I was just fascinated by cars. My dad would take gotcha. us to vintage car races oh, yeah. and I'd get to go in the pits, you know, and see these things and take pictures of them. And, and just, there's something about machines, especially um, very the more visceral the machine, the better. Like I remember I saw a Ferrari F40 and I just thought this is really cool. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I am so glad to hear that. I take my kids to car stuff and motorcycle stuff and they think I'm torturing them. So I'm so glad to hear that. That's, that's an awesome, that's <laughs> now awesome. My daughters mostly get, well, you met Mara. We, when we, you know, I try and take the family on, when we go to a motorcycle event or something, I'll try and bring either the whole family or one of them. And we go to mid Ohio, which is kind of like the crazy Midwest event. It's, you know, it's just wild and yeah, they well, usually yeah. end up having a good time and they're old enough now that I think I can, I'm working on repairing an old moped for them to ride around on. So, nice. um, but yeah, those kind of experiences, I think they're really valuable. Yeah. 
For sure. Uh, I, and you know what? Your your passion and your knowledge of other brands. I mean, I couldn't, you know, you're for somebody that didn't grow up, uh, you know, writing, you I, you fooled me. You, you've got this intense knowledge and maybe it's because you're a... Uh, uh, you know, a design and an engineer minded person that you have to know the specs and the history and you're into all this classical stuff, but you, you have this huge passion um, and knowledge of other brands. Is that, has that come about since, um, you know, starting Janus or was that yeah. before? Uh, no, I think that was pre-existent. I mean, my, my parents are both, uh, my father's an architect, my mother's an architect or has a degree in architectural history. Um, and I think the histor- history side of it and my interest in classical architecture I mean, I'm just all, I've always been that, you know, like I said, like interested in tradition and reading the, the classics, like I'm interested in history and what the past, rather than treating it, I don't, I do not consider the past to be something that's behind us and that we, that we, uh, w- need to separate ourselves from, uh, and recreate ourselves as something completely new. This kind of, that's kind of like what modernist architecture does is it, it says everything that's pre, you know in the past is worthless and we need to start from scratch and everything. And then what that automatically means is that any, the only thing that's valuable in design is the expression of the designer as this kind of like genius. And mm-hmm. what, like, that's kind of what I'm not interested in is I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I, I don't want to pursue like personalizing things or making it about my, or anyone's character. It's more about like, like with Janice, what we do is we just, like some people will make fun of us because they kind of call our bikes like a pastiche of old things kind of combined together in the, and turn into a new product, but it's all old ideas. And, and I, and I always say, yep. I mean, it, it kind of is. It's like we, yeah. we take old, we, we're not in reinventing the wheel. We have no patents. We're taking the best of motorcycling, combining it into what we think the, 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 a classic motorcycle should be. And it, my definition of classic is, an example of the best. <laughs> That's all it is. Um, right. And then, okay. and then making it, making sure that, it, I mean, we have to meet modern EPA standards. We have to have modern, you know, age, you know, highway safety, you know, we have to oh have my good gosh. brakes. We got to have all that stuff. So of course yeah. it's going to be modern, but we're interested in making something that, uh, that's more focused on the experience of riding and like what we've learned about that over the last hundred, well, 90 years or so. And when it comes to motorcycles and trying to make that as imminent as possible for the rider. And what that means is that it's, it's going to be, it's going to look like, it's going to look kind of like uh, delusional to some people that are just focused on like, you know, horsepower specs or uh, tech, you know, advanced technology. They're just like, why would you pay that much for a 250? You know? And, and, And I understand, I get it. Because that the whole industry, the the media, the advertising, the marketing is all going in a different direction. Yeah, so we're kind course. of like we're kind of different. We're c- trying to create a kind of a new category of ride of, of motorcycle. Um, so, boy, I'm rambling now. But uh. oh no no no! <laughs> I, and that, uh, everything that you said kind of hits w- with me because that's one of the um, you know my my old co-host from Indiana told me, hey, that you know. Didn't, didn't, that can't be from Indiana. I said, yeah, it is. This is a couple of years ago. And when I told him I went to get to ride one, uh, you know, the other day, uh, he's like, oh, that's a lot of, you could buy a lot of bike for that much money. And I said, but you can't buy this, bike. I mean, you, sure. You could say that about anything. There's some, there's some mountain bikes that cost more, you know, than a Janus, but, right. uh, the thing is, is that it's not a Janus and, and, and the whole thing, I mean, I try not to, 
I try not to know anything about anybody, um, you know, going into these uh, interview style things because I love discovering it along with the the listeners. But you have so much out there and you have so much content on your website uh, and you were on, you know, Jay Leno's Garage, for example. And, you know, he, he even talked about the visceral feel of it. Yeah, this is definitely um, a 250 and it, but it's de- but definitely there's the quality of it. Like you were saying, the, the, it, you you expanded on the quality of something that was old and, and made something that doesn't, you know, you, you have to go back a hundred years to find anything that even resembles a Janus, right? Mm-hmm. Only mm-hmm. you can write it through LA like we did <laughs> a month ago. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and you don't have to worry about breaking down. You don't have to worry about machining your own, you know, special parts because right. these bikes that existed a hundred years ago, I could tell you that they, you know, the, the parts don't exist for them anymore. And, and they're often, you probably worry about breaking down more than writing, you know, <laughs> or, right, or kind right. of, and that's part of, that, that's yeah. part of the experience for some people. Um, and, and that is something that we kind of like tell people like <laughs> you know, the, the, the experience, not that your bike's going to break down, but the experience of riding the ones that you remember, yeah. like the, the experiences that you remember are not the ones where everything went perfectly. And it was just, you know, it just was a, effortless experience. That's a yeah. really good way of saying it. Effortless experiences, you don't remember. What you remember is when you're like caught in a rainstorm, uh, yeah. you get a flat tire, yeah. uh, you, you know, the, these things are like, if you're on a motorcycle adventure, that's obviously you want a bike that doesn't break down and all that kind of stuff. But you, you want a bike that, well, how about this? People don't buy motorcycles as a practical means of transportation to yeah. get from one place to another. Now, right. there are people who do who use them for that, but they have the option to use a car. They don't right. have to. And so here, at least in the States, we choose to ride motorcycles for the experience right. of riding. And that's exactly. what, like, when you say, like, you can buy a lot of motorcycle for that much money, I say, yeah. And what is it, what do you want when you buy a motorcycle? Yeah. <laughs> do you want it, effortless experience <laughs> or do yeah. you want... <laughs> <laughs> right, and we'll, I, I have a question queued up for later. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it right now. But yeah. I mean, there's some amazing things that you can do on anything. There's even, you know, I was just kidding my my friend, the same same guy, and, and another and another um, riding buddy of ours that, you know, they want it. They want me to get these uh, big ADV bike, and I said I'm not going to do it. Like I don't. I, to me, I'd rather try to cross the Kalahari on a C90 rather than. <laughs> know I can do it on an Africa twin, you know, something right. like that. So. Well, and it, and, it, and it needs to be said that there are many different niches in the motorcycling community. And some people like a sport, a, a high, t- high strong Italian sport bike. Some people like a big high tech ADV bike. Some people want a loud cruiser. And though everyone should have the, like one of our first people we had on the podcast, everyone should have the privilege of riding all those bikes if they want to. And right. there's a, there's a beauty of a lot in a lot of those experiences. Um, certainly not denigrating the experience of a big multi-cylinder uh, uh, adventure bike or a Harley Davidson on the highway. They're, they're really good at certain things. Um, but if you're trying to pare down to the essence of motorcycling, it, some of those things can be extraneous and they can distract you from what that is. Right. And, and to be honest, um, you know, up until I want to say 20 years ago ish, uh, maybe even, maybe even a little longer than that, but not much. 
um, 250 was a bike that was a, uh, considered a standard. You know, we the big bikes were 500s and 750s and things like that. 900 was oh, gigantic. Absolutely. You know what absolutely. I'm saying? Um, Maybe a my, bit longer than 20 years ago, but yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, 650 yeah, yeah. was a, was a um, big yeah. bike. <laughs> right. Way to make me feel old, by the way. But my, my dad actually commuted um, to work to the Navy. Um, I was, I got, had been about a 20 or 30, well, probably a 20 mile commute. Um, from when he moved out here to uh, when he was in the Navy and he commuted on a, I think he said his very first bike was a Yamaha, like a DT one mm-hmm. or something like that it was just a two fifty enduro, you know? And that was back then when the speed limit was 55. I mean, th- th- those things were, that was all you needed was a two fifty. Mm-hmm. They were affordable. And that was today's six fifty. you know, it's a mid- middleweight bike was cause you had a bunch of smaller stuff and two fifty was, a pretty common size 250 and 350 was not, you know, out of the ordinary for a daily rider, a freeway commute and everything because the speed limits and everything weren't, weren't what they are today. And we didn't have, you know, Dodge Hellcats blowing by us at 95 miles an hour, you know, that brings up like, you know, oftentimes like anything less than 650 or maybe more nowadays, a thousand uh, is called like, you know, like a beginner bike or worse, a chick bike or something, which <laughs> right. gets you into a whole land of, uh, yeah. of uh, ridiculousness. But look back at the history of motorcycling, all the greatest race bikes, the, the mm. icons of the of the racing, the Norton Manx, the, uh, you know, the Moto Guzzi uh, V8, all these bikes, they, you know, the, the Ducatis, like if you look at all the Velocets, they were all sub 500. I mean, yeah. with, ex- with some exceptions, obviously American bikes have always been pretty big, uh, displacement, but not high horsepower back in the day. Right. Um, and it's kind of like, well, those weren't beginner bikes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 a short, small fact, the, the winningest MotoGP rider ever, um, who a lot of people will say Giacomo Agostini, but it's actually, I think, Angel Nieto was the oh, winningest. Yeah. Most 50 won, CC. 50 CC was most <laughs> of his, most of his, uh, and you know, back, you know, Joey Dunlop used to race 50 CC. Oh, he did 52, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, you know, back, that's when the TTs and everything had these crazy classes. You'd have mm-hmm. 50 up to 750, and he yeah. would, he won most of his stuff on the 250s, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, out of all the things that you could have done, uh, I mean, all of this having been said, what the hell made you decide to start a motorcycle brand from scratch, especially right after, yeah. <laughs> right, right after grad school? I don't know. It was probably just insanity. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or night, really naive. Um, but we had, we had, I had been working, uh, with, uh, the guy that I founded the company with, he had a vintage moped shop, as, as I said, and we were doing like kind of like high-end custom mopeds. And we sold, he was selling like $8,000 pedal type mopeds to pretty high profile, you know, clients in Chicago or New York. Um, And just through that, we were thinking like, we want to build, we just got tired of updating and reimagining. Let's say we had this dream of doing like a 50cc, uh, race bike version of a moped and we kept trying to like i had one that i made like it was called the pukavas and it was like a play on the um norton triumph triton where you put a triumph engine in a norton frame back in the cafe racer era right and so i had a puke engine which is a very common 
highly upgradable moped engine in a Badavis frame, which is a really pretty bike, but doesn't go very fast. So it was like the best of both worlds. But we got tired of kind of trying to come up with the bike that we wanted out of other people's old bits and pieces. <laughs> and so we're like, well, let's just make one. And we, and actually we just, um, we just, that was what got it started was we built a, you, you mentioned Aniel Nieto and, uh, it was really my fascination with those early 50 CC, um, Kreidler. Um, who's the other guy who was oh, really yeah. big in, um, in a 50 CC racing Nieto. And then there was, there was a, you know, there are many people were, were into Suzuki did a, was really into that oh, as well. Yeah. Um, but those bikes, the minimalism and how par- like there's a famous, I think it's an, a Derby that uh, Nieto would have ridden. And it, it's like, it has the extra spark plugs screwed onto the frame. So he would like stop in the middle of the race and like swap out his plugs. And no they got kidding. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, just like absolutely pared down to the bare minimum. If you highly recommend you look up one of these bikes from the sixties or seventies, yeah. they're just super narrow, like eight inches wide. And they would have had, <laughs> they had crazy tall gearing and they revved out to like some of them up to like 20,000 RPM. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we built kind of like a, uh, what is the word? A, um, Kind of a, uh, a portmanteau, tri- tri- uh. a tribute to <laughs> oh, okay. to one of those, uh, which was built around a Pook engine, and that was really the only piece that we used that we didn't make. We made the frame. Right. We took forks off of a different bike. We used wheels from like a French bike. We made our own fuel tank and, and seat assembly and our own hand. We even made the handlebars for it. Um, so we made the swing arm and then kind of created what it's called the Paragon, and it was like our version of a 50 cc. GP bike. And that nice. through doing that, that's when we we're like, oh, we can make frames and tanks. And what if we made more of these? Oh man, that is so <laughs> And actually awesome. it's funny you brought up NATO because the first engine we used on in the first Janus, which was a 50 cc two stroke, was a Derby Senda, which is like the modern six speed water cooled two stroke 50 cc version of what they were Dang. racing back in the day. And that thing would do 55 stock on 50 cc's. Yeah. And so um, we, I love two strokes, but as soon as we decided we need to get to EPA to sell more units, <laughs> that, that was, was that was that was that that dream was broken <laughs> right out the window. Right. So okay, so now we're moving into the inception of Janus. So Janus, did the God Janus inspire the yes. vision of the company, or did the vision kind of match the character, like what you were already doing? Did it match the characteristic of Janus? And it was kind of like a marketing discovery that you made while you're trying to find like a representation for this vision. Which which came oh, that's first, a great, the, that's the a great Janus question. or the egg? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I've never had that one. Um, it was absolutely the, the the latter. We we were struggling to find a name. The Paragon was that first bike. We actually named the company. Our legal entity is still Paragon Motorcycles. Oh, cool. Um, but there's lots of Paragons. It's like Acme kind of. Um, it, there's lots of them. So we we you sell rocket skates ever. Let me know. <laughs> So anyway, we, we were like, what are we going to find? What, how are we going to find a name that sounds good? And it's, it's surprising. If you go back to the history of motorcycles, like most of the good names have been taken and they're taken by now defunct companies. There've been so many motorcycle brands that were really cool. And then, you know, they built 200 bikes and went out of business. Right. Um, uh, the fact that we've made over 1200 bikes at this point means that we're like 
I don't know if yeah. we're like, I don't know the figures, but we're probably in like the top 10% of motorcycle manufacturers. That's what, that's what I'm, I'm going back to the beginning. That's what I'm telling you. You're, you're a big deal to me because you've succeeded. You know, a lot of people do podcasts and only last three or four episodes. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's the motorcycle equivalent of that. You've, you stuck around. You probably have more out there on the road than Modus. And, and uh, oh, yeah. Sure. Modus, I don't think made, a, they made maybe 100. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah. So anyway, Janus, the Roman god, uh, goes back to my love of architecture. I spent a lot of time in Rome when I was in school. And there's a Janus is a Roman god um, who had a temple, an arch in Rome and a temple. And he is this really unique figure that has two heads. And one is looking to the future and one is looking to the past. And he, he represents duality, um, war and peace. Like in, the, in times of, I always get it wrong. In times of peace, the door was closed of the temple and in terms of war it was open and then mm-hmm. he also represents like doorways um the month january is named after janice it's the beginning and end of the year um and so the beginning so, of, right like yeah looking yeah. forward and back forward and so to the it, new year backward to the i get it yeah to cool. answer your question that was definitely it was a, a name that kind of fit what we were trying to do right um to look to the past and the future at this kind of simultaneously and try and embody that in a Right. Vehicle, so. um, what sizes did you start with? Did, did Janus ever have a 50cc? Yeah, we, we, that we, the whole company was started with a 50cc two-stroke motor, which we got from Derby, which is a famous Spanish um, uh, motorcycle company that um, I think it's like, if it, if it does still exist, it's owned by Piaggio. Um, yeah, it is actually. Yeah. Yeah. And they make this little, like a, it's actually, it's really cool. I wish I, I want, I'm a, I will get one someday. It's a little sport bike. 50 cc um six speed and i mean if you have there's so many upgrades you can do to them that you can do like 80 miles an hour on these things um, yeah. they sound so good I but anyway say, i want to say derby still makes a um like a three-wheel kind of like a tuk-tuk sort of thing too uh they probably it, do yeah and they're pretty quick from what i've seen so yeah there's yeah. they're fun it's just like any two-stroke you can just there's this, the, the there's inf- an infinite number of things you can do to them but yeah uh it, we started the company with that and we, because we were making like super low production volume, it didn't really matter if we didn't have EPA. Yeah. We, we basically, and it was basically, we basically had two beginnings with Janus. One okay. when we started originally in 2011, and we built over the course of about four years or so, we built 43 50cc Halcyons, which is wow. our top model. And, and that's kind of a, a weird story because, you know, the Paragon, the first bike we built, which is a, this like GP. Uh, no, tribute bike replica tribute? Kind yeah of. there you go yeah it was a cafe it was like a you know gp style bike and and that was right at the kind of height or maybe tail end but still like the reign of the cafe racer was in full oh, yeah. effect yeah and so our first bike we just thought you know it was, uh, without even thinking it was like oh it's going to be a cafe style bike i love these i love gp bikes the paragon was one and then somehow during that process i got completely sidetracked by like as I started learning more about motorcycles and reading books about them and learning about the history, I started getting fascinated with like older like models like Bruff Superior, which is an English brand, uh, Vincent, uh, I mean, any of the old brands. And, and right in that 1920s time period, they were at this point where they were still figuring stuff out and they were like the form and the function. The best way I have to can describe it is like the form and function somehow were at like this parody. They were kind of balanced. And Great. Basically, in my opinion, this is probably a contentious point of view, but by the 1990s, motorcycles had kind of like reached this point of uh, 
or 2000s even, this point of diminishing returns where everything yeah. was covered in plastic. It was basically, it was like a two-wheeled car. Right. And we I mean, were trying to get back to something different. Yeah. And, and honestly, since then, the biggest improvements have just been add-ons kind of trickling down from the car world. There really haven't been any innovations. It's like technology. In, it's like yeah. an extra two miles per hour, an extra, yeah. you know, five horsepower. Uh, and then you're talking about numbers that like, you know, uh, 230 horsepower, like when are you going to actually experience that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. we we were thinking about cafe racers, uh, but then I got sidetracked by these older bikes and uh, we, we developed this Halcyon concept, which was, it's just kind of like, it's a hard tail, first of all, which is just totally weird. It's kind of looks like, it definitely is looking to like early Bruff Superiors, <clears throat> early Triumphs, early Harley Davidsons, Indians. And yeah. uh, it has this kind of unique fuel tank that oh yeah, it, that much of the design for the tank really just comes from the fact that we could make it. <laughs> it was a shape right. that we could make with our really rudimentary manufacturing techniques, which is another part of our story. We have most of the, many of the parts of our bikes, we either make ourselves within 20 miles of the shop, or we have an, um, a bunch of Amish craftsmen that make them right. for us. Can so. you see my screen? It's it's almost like you're you're walking through the script I have written out perfectly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is such a great transition. Yeah. Um, and, and I do want to talk about that uh, after. The definition of the word halcyon, if I'm not incorrect, means like a, a thought back to like the, the milk and honey days, right? I mean, is that uh, the, the it's, on, it's another it? mythological, like it's kind of our theme, but um, Halcyon is often today is like the Halcyon days are like the golden days of your, right. but really right. the, 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 the mythology is that it's a, a bird. It's kind of like a kingfisher and it, mm. it, it lays its eggs or it raises its young in these like little period of summer in the middle of winter. So it's like these golden days that are in the gotcha. a different, it's like in the middle of winter. And that's how the, and it, that's and how weeps. the uh, association with the word uh, yeah. came about. Okay. And it weeps over times past. And so it's kind of like, it was, we felt mm. like it was really perfect for the, the, that model. Um, you'll have to see a picture of it or, or look at a Janus to kind of understand that. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I have seen, I'd seen a few and I've seen a few in the wild here in California um, owned by crazy old guys that had everything but an old bike from the, you know, turn of the century. So they said, Hey, yeah, I got this cool Janus and, and here it is. And you wouldn't believe the motor, how much, you know, uh, how much many crossover parts there are, I guess, with some Hondas and some mm -hmm. other motorcycles that were out there, they said that they could, you know, crossover parts with it. And I'm looking at it and, and I had an interview or I didn't interview the guy. I don't think, but I, I talked to him for about an hour. You know, I talked to everybody else for five minutes. I talked to this guy for an hour. He was so stoked on it. And he was just telling me about it and I'm looking at it going, yeah, like this. And then that's when I really, um, and I, I'd heard of him before. So yeah, you've been around since 2011, -ish, 11, but yeah. when was your, was that when you're, um, you had a web presence then I can't, yeah. I, I can't pinpoint when I first saw Janice, but I know it was, it was a while ago. So it's probably like early 2012. We kind of got started and it was all home baked. I mean, I made the website. It was like, yeah. you know, kind of an Instagram kind of company. We were just really small. And like I said, we were making these 50 CC bikes. One bike would kind of fund the next one. We weren't paying ourselves. Right. And that's why I say we kind of had two starts because at the end of building those fifties, we're like, Hey, we need to, if we want to make this real, we yeah. need to have an EPA compliant engine. We need to meet all these regulations. And so we, 
we we're like, okay, well, let's go to the next size up, uh, right. two fifty, and it's four stroke. And so we the to get to what you're exactly what you were asking about the engine, um, we picked because we're a small company, and we don't have dealers. We're like, how do we? What's the best? And and we're interested in the experience of riding. What right. would be the best engine for that function? And so what we decided on, and, and which is just becoming more and more clear to us as we have thousands of them out in the wild, is let's pick a motor that's low, low like low displacement, 250, and which is it's like the easiest engine. First of all, it's like indestructible and, yeah. easy, and easy to work on if you're the owner. So you don't even have to take it to a dealership or a repair shop. And so we found this motor called the CG250, which is a Honda derived engine. It's made by some of the old suppliers for Honda. And right. it, it's basically like, it is literally bulletproof. Um, I've ridden one of our bikes cross country. I mean, the same bike from the north of the country to the south and, and done a lot of stuff in like iron butt style, like thousand miles in 24 hours. Right. Um, basically you're just running this thing like wide open throttle for <laughs> 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, Le Mans. <laughs> right, there you go. And and I don't know if you and I had talked about it, but this is the bike uh, that they, Honda, uh, This well, this motor is, is one that Honda had seen working in these horrible conditions, right? Yes. And I don't know if yes. that was you and I that were talking about that. And yeah. they had decided, hey, we need to make these things the, in these other countries where this is being sold, you know, the majority of it. They're really don't have the resources to really take care of it. We need yeah, they, to make a bulletproof engine. Exactly. They, 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 they were getting out competed in like developing markets, third world countries by the other big Japanese motorcycle manufacturers who had two stroke motorcycles. Honda has never really into the two strokes as much. And so they're like our, their C, CB 125, which is a phenomenal engine. Um, it's just, it's a higher strong motor. It's overhead cam. Uh, it requires regular oil changes, uh, valve adjustments, all these things that, in these developing countries, they sent, they actually sent out some engineers to like Pakistan and Southeast Asia and India. And they were like researching how these things are maintained. And they were just, these Japanese engineers were just like completely horrified <laughs> yeah, by man. what they saw. No maintenance. They would, the only time they would get worked on is when they like seized. Right, right. They whip <laughs> so out they, the white glove and then they're like, exactly. never mind. And they just put it back in right. their pocket. So they, they went back to Tokyo, you know, and basically like, hey, we need to completely rethink how we do things if we're going to compete in this market. And so they developed the CG line, which is like, it's like the dumb little, you know, sister of the CB. And it's, it, so it's a overhead valve. It's got a, a single push rod that open, that operates both. Yeah. Um, well, not a single, a single cam that operates both right. uh, intake and exhaust. So it's just like, there's not much you can do in terms of performance but there's everything you can do in terms of maintenance and like doing a valve adjustment for like a, like if you've done it once, you can do it in like 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, it's just incredible. So anyway, that we decided on it, this is kind of like our model. Uh, and of course we have dealers. We have, I mean, we have a service shops, a network that we can send you to, or we can help you find one, but kind of the focus is on doing it yourself. And we also have like we we're, we're so we stand behind the motor so much that we're like we have a four year warranty on the two fifty engine, oh, which I gosh, think is wow. industry. I don't think anyone else does that, um, and it's it works out great for us because like we rarely have issues um, yeah. that require any kind of major uh, problem. So so yeah. Anyway, right. that's the story of the two fifty engine. We got it through EPA. It's carbureted, so that was crazy. Uh, we have a carbureted, yeah, you know, modern compliant engine uh, that actually is burns really clean. Um, and, 
you've done what Royal Enfield couldn't even. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean when K- KLR finally realized they couldn't do it, the K- right. Kawasaki KLR can't, finally they realized they couldn't do the carburation anymore. Right. Um, um, yeah. w- when you when you decide to make a bespoke motorcycle company out of nowhere, and you're you probably aren't, aren't thinking EPA. You know, you're probably there's a, a thousand things that are not on your mind when you decided to start this. How the heck do you decide? where to start and 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 all of the network i mean if, if you listen to the uh why we ride the janus podcast you talked to some of your suppliers and the relationships that you made how did you even get into that how did you start networking how did you start sourcing components you know how does how did all that even you know come across your radar oh man like we would just like we just scoured the internet i mean what we what we do would not be possible i will, I will say without the amazing resource that the internet is um yeah we get a lot of our parts from overseas um like it's kind of weird because we we have this <clears throat> huge amish community that here in, in northern indiana we're kind of the capital of the rv industry so that's kind of why this works so well here um and they don't even have the internet so when we send them prints we either have to drop them off or fax them to them and most of the like chassis components, fuel tanks, bodywork, everything is handlebars. Everything is made by them. But then on the other, the flip side, we get our engines from China. We get our shock absorbers from Australia. We get our lighting from Taiwan. We get our instrumentation from Germany. Uh, you know, it's like, it's the, yeah. basically the best way to say it is like the specialty components we get from specialists that yeah. have in many cases, half a century of experience doing what they do really well. And then we focus on the stuff that we do well, which is the design and the chassis component, you know, the suspension design, that kind of stuff. Right. But we we leave like DOT lighting. We get we get our lights from the same place Indian does. <laughs> right, right. And so, right, walk us through some of these components. I mean, you've got a. I I don't want to step on this. I'll let you explain it. But you've got a very special suspension and you've got some really cool instrumentation a lot of people i saw uh, commenting on the instrumentation and how it looked so um describe to us some of these components and their special origins not just the fact that they harken back to an older time but yeah your your frames your suspensions your fuel tanks like all of this crazy stuff um what type of suspension are you running on these things uh so yeah the 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 suspension well first of all the 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 frame is real traditional kind of like a feather bed style design. Um, uh, and then the, the suspension system that, the, well, first of all, the, the Halcyon, our first model, doesn't have a rear suspension. Right. So that's kind of that's, weird. That one's on easy. Own. Uh, <laughs> then the, and that was partly because we were like, we're new, you know, it's, but then it worked out really well. Uh, but then the front suspension, on the 50s, we use a Italian small displacement telescopic fork, kind of un- universal style, kind of little, little telly. Uh, but then when we launched the 250, I was like, I've always wanted to design Back even as a kid, I was designing car suspension systems, and I was just interested in doing that. I'm like, I really want to do my own suspension design, and I want to do it something different. Um, and I had come across the the leading link suspension, which yeah, I mean, do yourself a favor and look into that. There's so many interesting qualities that the leading link has. Um, it, it's uh, today it's only really used by sidecar bikes, um, mainly because it is so rigid. If you look at a yeah. Ural, a modern Ural, it's going to have a, it's probably the only other manufacturer. Yeah. Um, and I think if you race Speedway, a lot of those bikes still have th- a leading link. They have a very link. short leading link. Yeah, yeah you're very, right. Yeah, it's tiny. Yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, we, we were, I actually thought about you doing like a girder f- suspension, but girder, it, it really is outdated. Um, and what I realized in the process of researching the leading link was that the telescopic fork is actually the one that's out of date. 
it, it, it's, it was invented in the 1920s. Yeah. And the leading link is, is kind of an improvement on it in the sense that there's just all these different things about the, the telescopic fork that it's, it bends, it binds, it's, uh, um, it, the, the, your wheelbase and your, uh, change while you're riding it, if you're uh, under right, braking yeah. forces yeah. and the leading link design, if you engineer it correctly, it's very rigid. It doesn't, um, it doesn't need a fork brace or anything like that. It is a fork brace. And it actually, if you design it correctly, it has an anti-dive characteristic. So it's, yeah. it's basically like I, modern car suspension. <laughs> yeah. I tested that too. And I can confirm that there is no dive. You know, I, I jammed on there. I told you, hey, I'm going to try that. And I jammed them on. And yeah, there's no dive. And, and as a matter of fact, BMW has gone to great lengths to make all these different front ends uh, to not dive, but still look like telescopic forks and works sort of like telescopic They actually forks. engineered the dive back into their new ones. Oh, okay, okay. So that, they, that people would kind of be used to it. But BMW is a classic example. They, yeah. they, they were like, I think the first, I mean, people will argue with you, but they were like the first major manufacturer to use telescopic forks in the 20s. Then they kind of stole the, the leading link design from a guy, an English guy named Earl's. And use that on all their bikes from the like 50s through the yeah, 70s. Into the 70s, yeah. Yeah, into so the like 70s. Mid 70s, and then, you could still buy. Yeah. With it. And then they, and that's because a lot of them were used with sidecars, I think, too. But then they ditched it for, they went back to telescopic. And then they started using another design they stole from uh, Hasek, Norman Hasek, which is a this really complicated. Um, uh, well, yeah, the, I think they call it the tele the tele tele lever tele lever design, yeah, do a lever, yeah, and it's basically yeah. like a Hasek front end, yeah. There's all sorts of I write the manuals for that, and when you look, that's right, when you look at it. There's like a ton of pieces to it, and you're like, how the hell does this work? How does this what? how does this connect to the handlebars? <laughs> Why is there so much to this? Yeah, and, and so many points of failure, you know. Yeah, it's um, a really neat design, but it's kind of classically German in the sense that it doesn't make as much sense from a manufacturing <laughs> standpoint. It's yeah. like pretty impractical, but. They're going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> yeah. So your leading links, they look cool. They work great. I could. And I most importantly, they are, they make sense with our manufacturing process. They're easy right. for us to make because we can make the fork and then we can say, hey, let's leave the suspension, the actual shock absorber to an expert. And right. if you're a customer and you want better suspension, you can go to Olin's and get us fork and put it on your bike. Right. <laughs> It's right, so cool. <laughs> so modifiable. And, and that's something that you and I talked about, but I, I, I don't see a lot on your, I don't see you tooting your own horn on the Janus website, but you and I talked about just how customizable these things are, you know, yes. uh, uh, just like that. The whole the, bike. Yeah. The whole bike. Um, what about some of the in-house crew? Because I, I started picking up when you, when you, uh, told me about that, I started looking at some of the videos that you have on your, um, website and it seems like there's you have, it's almost like working with friends, you know, it seems like, and, and everybody has their own little specialty and, and, and it seems like everybody is just such a, uh, integral part of what they do that they're on each and every motorcycle, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We got an incredible team. It's kind of like a, a family in, the, in, in a lot of ways. It's a much, much of that is a product of the fact that our community is amazing. Goshen, this little kind of idyllic Midwestern town, very beautiful and it's got a nice community. Um, we have, uh, we don't have like a assembly line. So yeah. when, when the, like, uh, uh, there's a guy building your bike from like the frame and then he takes it all the way through to the finished bike. Um, now there's lots of different processes that go into that. So like the 450, for example, which you got to ride, we make that chassis. So we have a separate facility where we do chassis fabrication for the 450 line. Um, so there's a team down there that only make 
those. And they come gotcha. out here after a long process around the county of getting sandblasted, all the different processes <laughs> that go into that. They come back here and then there's like, you know, Kelly is our uh, shop manager and she does all of the pinstriping. Um, or we have a new guy who's training under her, but basically she's done like a thousand motorcycles of right. I mean, all the so, graphics you awesome. see on the bike are so going to be, yeah, yeah. All the, all the, the graphics you see are hand pinstriped. So if that's the logo on the side of the tank, all the pinstriping on it, pinstriping on the wheels, all done by hand. Um, and that's kind of a good illustration of like the way things are done. Um, we, it's just like we have a guy who builds wheels. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. I saw a video a long time ago. I, I don't know if it was on YouTube of the tanks being welded too. And I thought, mm. oh, wow, you guys make your own tanks and or, yeah. or, or, you know, fab all that stuff. And so it wasn't just like, you know, that's one of the craziest things of a motorcycle that usually gets punched. I mean, there might be somebody that tack welds it here and there, but, but usually those are punched and stamped and yep. spot welded by machines. Those are a complicated piece, but yours, like you said, it's so, this motorcycle is so uh, simple that everything is just, it's crafted and it looks, yep. you know, it looks the part and it looks cool. And it's done by, by people there in Goshen. Um, Speaking of Goshen, how did you how did you land in Goshen of all places that you could have started a yeah. motorcycle company, Goshen? Uh, yeah, you'd think like Southern California or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> man, uh, man, maybe. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, I as I, I I came out here to go to school, so I went here to go to Notre Dame. is about um, forty five minutes west of us, and Notre Dame is in a town called South Bend. And I'll, I won't say it's true now. South Bend is really come a long way. But when I first moved there, I was really not, I was like, Oh my gosh, where am I? And my mother's from Kentucky and Kentucky and Indiana, both like Indiana people think that Kentucky is hillbillies and Indiana. Oh, people yeah. think the opposite. Uh, I was always raised to think Indiana. Oh dear. But yeah. I got, I moved to South Bend and I was like, Oh, all my, my nightmares have come true. Uh, <laughs> but then I, we started uh, riding vintage mopeds uh, down. There's a bar here in town called the the constant spring, which is just the most poetic name. And it, yeah. it was a fantastic, um, uh, a bar with a, and we started, I met my wife, uh, here in Goshen and we just started to kind of like the community, like, like I said about it, like our employees, like the community is incredible. And the, yeah. the chamber of commerce is really like active and they support you. Like, um, so we got a lot of support early on and we, it was pretty, pretty clear that we wanted to be here. We didn't choose it because of the resources that are here. It was mostly right. like we liked it and I found myself here. And then afterwards, like five years later, I'm like, man, if we had tried this anywhere else, this would have totally failed. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. What a I'm just nuts that that's how it worked out and that it, it was a and fortunate uh, coincidence. Yeah. You know? And I, absolutely. I mean, there's so much of the stories of a, a, a fortunate a happenstance. So also a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but, but a, a big part of it is the fact that we are in the middle of this RV industry, kind of like I hinted at earlier, the, the recreational vehicle. And 80% of RVs are made in Elkhart County, which yeah. is Goshen is the county seat. And that means that you you can't go a mile without driving by a machine shop, a fabrication shop, a powder coater, or some kind of wow. manufacturing. Uh, and it's all like these, you have some big assembly shops, you know, like Keystone RV or Forest River or whatever the big brands are. But you also have these like, little mom and pop shops or Amish shops that are feeding into that system. Kind of like the automotive industry, like tier, you know, these are like tier two to the RV industry, which is its little tiny ecosystem. And so if we need a part made, I mean, 
it's just, we go down the street. (laughs) It's it's incredible. That is pretty incredible. It's a, it's a huge achievement. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. uh, That, that community, uh, like you said, it's so crazy. It's just awesome that it worked out how it did and that you're that, you know, the proximity and the the fact that there's that much community involvement. And and it does really sound like it supports, uh, especially as the world gets more global and fractured, that it still supports, um, you know, something there locally. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of achievements, you've done, you, you alluded to it earlier at the, uh, you know, almost an hour ago now, the th- crazy things you've done, you've had a lot of achievements um, on Janice and with Janice. I mentioned Jay Leno's garage. Um, I kind of, I kind of threw that one out there. I was, I was hoping to save it for this, but that's a, you've got some pretty big media attention. Um, and I know you were out here in SoCal for uh, a press event. Yeah. Um, you also, you also did something crazy. You you mentioned that you've ridden all around, and and I know that you you mentioned to me the George Wyman route, and so yes, I yes. want you to expand on that a little bit because this is something absolutely that you, you, you knocked it out of the park with. <laughs> so George Wyman, I don't know if anybody probably you don't know who he is. Uh, George Wyman was a a guy a, a, bicy- a famous bicycle racer. I, I believe he was a racer in the uh, around the turn of the century, mm-hmm. um, so nineteen hundred, and he got it into his head that he was going to ride this motorcycle. I think he got a bet for 50 bucks, which was probably a more oh, than it is now, but yeah. like probably not that much more. Uh, and anyway, he, so he got a California motorcycle, which was one of the first uh, early American motorcycles. I think it was 225 cc's. So very close to what we have. Our bike's actually 229 cc's, not 250. And he, in 1902, I think it was, he rode from San Francisco all the way to New York City in like 51 days. And, yeah. And so just to put this in context, that no one had ever ridden a motorized vehicle of any kind across right. the country. So the first person to cross the US on a motorized vehicle did it on a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> Not many people know that. <laughs> and there was no roads. There may have been wagon trails at the time, but- there, I- yeah, there, there were no, no roads. roads. I believe. I, I think I've. I think I've read his part of his story, and he tried to ride on railroad tracks because that a was lot like of the only thing. And his spleen almost got jiggled out of his, you know, body. And yeah. I think his kidney almost rubbed. He was like, "This is horrible." It's like it's as comfortable as riding on railroad tracks on uh, across the. Uh, I don't know if they call those the ties like the sleepers yeah. or something. Yeah, is as about as comfortable as you can imagine a washboard for thousands of miles. Yeah, you know and he had no, he had no. It was a literally those old bikes yeah. were like. We're literally bicycles with a motor strapped to him. And so he yeah. was, I mean, he was constantly breaking stuff. Like his handlebars broke. He'd replace oh. it with a piece of wood. Right. You know, like a, piece, a stick or something. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, uh, he was really like a month after he did it, somebody did it in a car and yeah. stole all the thunder. And nobody yeah. remembers who George Wyman was. But anyway, there's a fella uh, about, I don't know how, how many years he's been doing it. Uh, he's a long distance rider with the Iron Butt Association, which is a really cool group of people that ride insane distances. And he basically has taken George Wyman and made, trying to kind of like expand the understanding of what he did. And he's formed this thing called the George Wyman Memorial Route. And you can uh, follow that route today on your motorcycle. Uh, if you look nice. it up, it's got waypoints along the way. And he's made little signs all the way across the country in all the places that Wyman went through. And actually, George Wyman, Rode through Goshen, Indiana, and so we are oh, the cool. we are the we are the waypoint here. We have a, a big plaque on the side of the oh, wall for crazy for George Wyman. Um, he came awesome. through on the train a track, I think, because there were I mean on the road and the track. It was some, some of the road wasn't in good enough condition. So yeah. anyway, in 2018, I 
participated in a, in a, in a ride with a bunch of BMWs and Harley Davidson's uh, riding across country. And we were doing like, we did it in five or six days. Oh gosh. Wow. And these I mean, bikes, just, you know, they were zipping along and oh, I would yeah. get in at like, I'd leave at like five in the morning and get in at like, you know, 10 or 11 at night exhausted <laughs> right. and they're all, they've all already in bed already, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, that, that just speaking to your point, you know, that you made earlier, there's riding and then there's adventure. They were commuting this trail where I feel like you were like, you know, you had George Wyman's, uh, you know, adventurous spirit, you know, going on this. So that's pretty amazing. And you, I, I imagine that George Wyman started this with the body of it. I don't know how old he was. Let's just say he's bicycle racer twenties. Yeah. He started with the body of a bicycle. He probably showed up there with the body of a 63 year old man with <laughs> kidney failure and like <laughs> half a spleen, you know, he's probably tore him up, you know? Oh, and, I can't uh, imagine. I yeah. can't imagine. I think he walked most of the way. I mean, he pushed the thing. <laughs> yeah. He's just, <laughs> screw this. But that is awesome. And the, and the, the fact that you've done it on a, you know, on a 250 that kind of looks the part. I mean, it looks like a, you, you could have one of these in the 1920s. So that's awesome. I just, I love that you, you are walking the walk. You know what I'm saying? You're not mm-hmm. just, you don't just design these bikes. You are, you're doing stuff on them. Um, speaking back to the, uh, the reliability and all the stuff of the motor, was this your first t- uh, torture test of this thing? Were you, were you hoping you made it or did you, were you pretty Oh confident? yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, as a designer, you can't, but can't help, but kind of worry, you know, that something's yeah, oh, going to yeah. go wrong. And I, I, the only issue I had was, uh, I mean, the bike just like, I described it as a sewing machine the entire way. I was just wide up in throttle with, all, I mean, I was, there was no support. So I had yeah. all my gear, all my tools, all my spare parts, everything Gosh, on the bike. That's awesome. I had like big metal panniers on the back. And so I was, pretty loaded down and I'm a big dude and right. You're seven foot three, <laughs> six, six, six. Right, right. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, and so I was doing like 63 miles an hour top. I bikes to do about 70 top speed. I'm like 63 miles an hour on interstate 80 all the way across the country. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I mean, it was just like completely wound out. I had a throttle lock and I would just lock it open. Right. Um, and then if you get a truck going by, you can get a little faster, but Oh yeah. Um, a little draft. That's awesome. Right. But anyway, uh, the only issue I had was I had, Right before I left, I'm like, oh, we had updated a part for the EPA compliance. And this is right around when we got EPA compliance. And so I I updated the intake manifold with this uh, special gasket that we needed. And I forgot to add longer bolts with the the, the thicker gasket. Oh, right, right. And so it was like they were held on by like barely a couple of threads and I didn't even think about it. And so I got like into like Nevada or maybe even further along and the intake basically started leaking uh-huh. essentially fell off and i i thought it was the end of the trip and then i realized yeah. i just need to oh, look just, bolts. bolts that's all i need yeah that's a that's a oh my gosh what a save though that's a that's such know. a for all the things that it could have been that is an epic uh yeah. that's an epic save um and then i i know some of the other achievements that you have that y- you might not immediately think of but that struck me is that you i think you said you have a janus in every state that's right. We do. We have a Janus motorcycle in every state now. It's taken us a while, but we have multiple bikes, I think, in most states. We have bikes up in Alaska. We have bikes up, up north of the Arctic Circle. We have bikes uh-huh. in Hawaii. We have bikes yeah. in Florida. Uh, of course, all the other states. I think West Virginia was one of the, oddly, one of the last ones that we didn't have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a lot of motorcyclists in West Virginia. I don't which is weird because of... it would be a great spot, spot for it. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's <laughs> too busy uh, in the coal mines to, right, right. to ride. Um, and then also other achievements. I mean, you started out with this 250, but you, and, and, and when I knew Janice, I, 
uh, first, you know, that was the whole draw. I love two fifties. I'm a weirdo for two fifties. Um, and here's a two fifty that looks so awesome, but you also had a little, you didn't just have the, um, Halcyon. I I think you had a one called the Griffin. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you might still have the Griffin, but now you have a 450 version of it. And and like you said, that's what I got to ride. Um, what, uh, you know, what inspired that and, and what are some of the differences um, between that and the 250 version? Great question. Yeah. So we, you mentioned we were on Jay Leno's garage and I like to credit Jay for the, for really laying out or formalizing what we wanted to do with the next model. But it was something that our owners had also, uh, we regularly, we actually just sent out our owner survey uh, like earlier this week, um, but we regularly send out an owner survey and ask people what they like, what they don't like, what they want to improve, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things that we had heard was like, hey, if you make another model, we'd like it to be not, you know, 120 miles an hour fast, but fast enough to get on the highway. Yeah. And then we'd also like rear suspension if it's going to go that fast and a little and a little more power. And so we kind of put all that together and we're like, hey, we want to, what we want to do is make a bike that is a little more versatile. Because the 250, even though people like me will take it on the interstate all the way across the country or whatever, or I don't care. Um, some people want to, you know, be able to pass cars and stuff like that. And I, I get it, uh, make it more versatile. And so we, we, we set on the kind of a parameter of we want to, we want a bike that can go at least 80 miles an hour. Um, the, the 450 does 90. Um, we want a bike that has about twice the horsepower, but not any more than that. <laughs> right. We want it to be as lightweight as we can. We wanted it to be, I think the goal was 350 pounds. Um, it's about 360 pounds. So we slightly overshot that and we wanted it to, uh, have rear suspension and basically not change. Everybody's like, we love the way the Halcyon looks. Yeah. Don't change that. And so Absolutely. we went to great lengths to basically preserve the Halcyon concept as a full suspension, 90 mile an hour capable, uh, uh, highway capable, a little bit heavier, a little bit more like it's got a little more heft to it. Yeah. Version I mean, I of the 250. I don't think you can add double the CCs and rear suspension and not you know, and, and, and stay the same way, you know what I'm saying? Right. But, but it, it, it didn't feel like just like the 250, it didn't feel, you know, you're not talking about a, you know, 600 pound bike, you know, right. It's, it's Cause it very, doesn't require to, to do that. You can't just like throw a bigger engine in the existing frame. Like we went 100, it was like a 120% right. redesign, new frame, right. completely different frame, new suspension. The, the rear suspension has got its own story at some point. Um, I forget that bike had, that bike has two pipes on it too. So yeah, it's a, right? it's a, the, the, the trick with that one was then what kind of motor are we going to find that meets all the criteria of the 250? Right. So like serviceable, long history of production, super reliable. Um, so we ended up finding that uh, the, uh, XR, the Honda XR 400 motor, uh, a, a modern version of that made by SWM, which is an Italian brand. Um, and, uh, it, it, it's a radial four valve Honda. So it has two intake and two uh, exhaust ports. So it does, it'll, it'll fool people. Some people will think it's yeah, a twin, but it's actually twin. a big, big old single. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty epic. So yeah, the 450 is, uh, it's our, it's our answer to being a little bit more, uh, versatile, a little more power, um, but still maintaining that our thing, which is lightweight, a lightweight yeah. bike. That's like not all about, it's about honing in on the experience of riding. Um, and really it, what we try to do is also like 
create a real differentiation between the 250 and the 450. So the 250, honestly, we, we, we're better able to talk about the 250 now because it answers a, a distinct need as opposed to the, the 450s fuel injected also. So it's like you have like a little bit more technology on it. Um, you have a lot more double the instrumentation, uh, which is still pretty minimal. Uh, the 250 only has a little speedo. That's it. There's no, you can, you feel everything. You don't need to worry about what your RPM is. Uh, the 450 has a tachometer and speedometer and more, you know, it has like a fuel level sensor, things like more modern things. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, a, it's a, it creates a nice segment that's like, Hey, I want this or I want this. And a lot of people still want that dirt, simple, uh, minimalist 250 that does like 90% of what most people do on a motorcycle anyway, which is curvy roads at yeah 45 to 60 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that the, the 250, oh, something else I, I didn't bring up is when we were riding up in the hills, I think you had your GoPro on. A, we're in stop and go traffic. And then B, once we did get up in the twisties, we got stuck behind a, a sewer, you know, a plumbing <laughs> truck. And I was like, if he's got his GoPro, this is going to make great audio. Just somebody sitting dead center behind a sewer truck. Once all the traffic got out and, you know, you guys, were, we were at the top looking over the, the valley. Um, I, you let me rip both of them. And I got to say the 250 with the rigid frame actually feels like you can chuck it into corners a little. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, with with no fear, you know what I'm saying? Especially with that leading link front end, that thing is just a little road hugger. And the 450 kind of sinks into the corners a little more with that with the rear suspension. Yep. But the two, I mean, they're both so much fun. And that was the perfect road to take them on, even though we didn't get to ride the expanse of it because of the, the closures. Just a little bit we did get to ride on was so fun because that's the perfect road for that and it was a perfect environment and you don't have to be going 100 miles an hour to have fun right, right. you just, right. You the, just the, need- the reason i ride and i think the reason i mean i don't i won't speak for everyone like there's many reasons we we ride um, but yeah. the reason that i ride and a lot of our owners ride and a lot of other people ride is they want to experience the sort of augmented reality and when i say that i mean a very different thing than a virtual reality right. the right. augmented reality of of the real world and yeah. what a what a motorcycle can do is it's a machine that uh, that can help you augment reality because what what is there that's more moving and more powerful than propelling yourself through the world uh and and, and to be able to do that with like this motor that makes you go faster than you can run right can, and, and being able to control that motor and like to me the most fun thing is like downshifting into a corner i yeah. love that yeah oh and, yeah you know like just ringing a bike out and you can't do that on a on a you know a ducati on a little road like no. you're, you're in second gear yeah yeah <laughs> and, and, and the funny thing is, is is that that 250 i took i took it down the hill and so i was going uphill and there was a car coming and i let him get way ahead of me and i thought he was so far i was like oh i'm gonna blow by richard oh, leaning yeah. this thing in the corner you know you had your camera out take a picture, and i was like i'm gonna be leaning over through this corner just so you can get a good shot and you're on his bumper <laughs> Well, and I caught up to him, but and I was thinking, oh, the t- is this, a, this is the 250. He'll, you know, he'll get up through the turns, and I start going when he was halfway up the hill, and I caught him before he even got to the top. Of the- and I'm going, oh my gosh, th- th- it's just so much fun, and, and just full speed through there without breaking. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it was so amazing. The speaking of augmenting reality and virtual virtual reality and getting out of it, if I could have a helmet that could project 1920s LA. <laughs> And a heads up while I'm riding a Janus and just get rid, you know, you'll still see the traffic and you'll still see the streets and everything as they are today, but it would remove the skyscrapers. It would put back all the, the weird 
you know, little ranches and farms and just the old, just to cruise that thing through LA, you can feel the old, you know, it, it brings you back to a time when, yeah, riding through here would have been a, mm-hmm. a whole different experience on this. And, and, and just being on that bike rather than a sport bike and having, especially going up with all that traffic, having to lug first gear up that hill on a sport bike, you know, was, would have really stunk. Um, and on the Janus, it was just fun, just weaving back and forth, you know, yeah. just having a blast. So to me, it's like it, it, the, the augmented reality of it is that it, it lets you get into the fun part of motorcycling. Yeah. On your ride to the post office, like yeah, you can, there you go. You, you don't need to be out in the middle of like Moab or where, who, you know, <laughs> right. Big Sur or something to get that experience. It's like right. it's right out your front door, and that's like that's what we're trying to. That's what yeah. we, like you can get a lot of bike for that. Yep. That's what we're trying to give you is the, is, is the, a lot of experience of motorcycling for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this, you, you can't get a lot of a, a bike like this for that, for sure. Um, yeah. And, and, and wrapping up, um, I hope you make a Griffin 450, by the way, we haven't even talked about the Griffin, but it's your like dual sport model. And if that comes yeah. out, come back on the show, let's talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. But wrapping up here, the, the, you, you t- told me in one of your emails that, you know, Honda always said, you meet the nicest people on a Honda and you all say you meet the weirdest people on a Janus. I'm sure for you that was, you know, coming out here, who is this weirdo that's on my, on my motorcycle now? It was, it was, a, it was a blast and, and it was so much fun. And I mean, this is, I, I feel like we're just getting into the, the tip of the iceberg on you and the company and, and where you're going. Um, well, uh, yeah, but I think that's a good, good introduction. Um, the weird it's a people, good tip, like, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a good tip. Yeah. The, uh, the P it's an, it's a niche. It's a, it's, we call it our corner, uh, our corner of the playground right. and it's not going to appeal to everyone. And what that means is the people that it does appeal to are some very interesting people. <laughs> and, uh, it's a fun place to be. Our corner of the playground is just like, it's all about, uh, yeah. Meeting new people, getting out there, um, and just experiencing something that's, it's almost like a, uh, statement of, it's more of a statement of defiance. Let's just say, I can say this with, yeah. with complete uh, confidence than it is to ride a Harley Davidson and be a kind of outlaw. It's, uh, right. it's much more uh, defiant to ride a, a 250 or a 450 that's oh, yeah. made by hand and that does this weird stuff and looks like it does. So Absolutely. yeah, we have a lot of fun doing it. And, and the, the best part is that uh, you don't have to buy a Ferrari or, or a crazy Ducati, you know, Panigale race edition to, to be in this club. You, you buy a 250 that is, you know, twice as fun to ride around town and you don't mm-hmm. have to take it to a track in order to enjoy yes. it. You know what I'm saying? Our 250s do cost more than a KLR, uh, uh, quite a bit more, but they're not, it's not in the realm of a Ducati or, or any, even like a, um, more expensive, um, Harley Davidson. Um, yeah. they're, they're oh, yeah. their own thing. And, uh, uh, yeah, buy, we welcome you to learn about them. Buy a bagger or three Janices, <laughs> right. or or Jani, whatever the. Uh, I like Jani. Yeah, yeah, two eyes. Nice. <laughs> hey, before we before we wrap up, I, I have a couple crazy questions. Uh, yep. If you wanna if you wanna blast through them, I've asked everybody that's been on the show. Uh, I've forgot a couple people here and there, but most everybody has answered these, and it's a riot, and it's just a little bit more of a view into the. Um, personality behind the uh, the person who runs Janice. So, go for uh, it. Ready to start these? Let's go. So the first one, and and this is actually mixed. These are responses, believe it or not. What's your favorite grip, the left or the right? Your favorite grip? Ooh, I like the right because you, you get to use the throttle. And to me, again, it's not accelerating. That's the fun part. It's uh, double clutching on the way. Or, you know, like uh, 
flipping the throttle as you downshift. There you go. That is the most fun part. So yeah, the right hand. There you go. And that's that's the majority. That's the as as Steve Harvey would say. That's the number one answer. Um, what's your favorite dog breed? Favorite dog breed? A mutt. Nice, <laughs> nice. That goes back to the first Janus tribute. Um, what's your favorite song? And I guess it doesn't have to be of all time, but maybe just right now or something that you you listen to in the shop or when you're riding. Just something that gets you in your happy place. Oh man. Well, uh, we're talking. We, the the term we we uh we use to describe what we do at Janus is rambling, or at least recently I've been talking about that. So I've been, it's not my favorite song, but I've been listening to all the ramble songs that are out there gotcha. from, from ramble on to ramblin' man. And, uh, they, they, they're a good soundtrack to motorcycling. Nice. That's a good, that's pretty good. That's, that'd be a good, um, playlist to have to just, just <laughs> rambling yeah. in the title. Um, now this might be crazy cause you're in Indiana and you're in Goshen and you're very near Amish territory, and I'm sure there's a diverse uh, opinion on this. But what's your favorite type of sandwich? Favorite type of ooh, that's a good one. Um, my, I feel like I'm going to get this wrong. Um, I won't <laughs> hey, remember. It's your what sandwich. My I wouldn't I judge. <laughs> I like a, I like horseradish and roast beef. Oh, boom! Would you ride your Janus a hundred miles to get a roast uh, horseradish and roast beef sandwich? <laughs> Absolutely. Nice. Um, what's your favorite month? Oh, we'll let's just go with January. I, I, I was thinking that after your answer before, Janice. Um, now this one, this although one, it kind of stinks in Northern Indiana. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, that's why you, that's why you're out here doing press. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your favorite character from the movie Spaceballs? Uh, what's his? Who's the Darth Vader character? Oh, Dark Helmet. Dark Helmet. Dark Helmet. Yeah. All right. Hey, well, we had, we had a couple of technical glitches there, but, uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to cut out our, our list. We'll, we'll come back. I'm going to have you on cause I'm going to do this again. We need, we need to know these questions that they're important. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but anyways, um, Hey, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thank you for, uh, you know, spending some time wasting, wasting uh, a perfectly good hour of your day. And, um, if anybody wants to get a hold of you or find more about, uh, Janice, the brand, obviously if they're listening to your podcast, they know where they know where they're at hundred yep. percent. But if, if they do want to find out more about the brand, um, and check out some of your, uh, you know, the video offerings and things that you have, um, where can they find you? Yeah. Our, uh, you can find us at Janice So J A N U S motorcycles.com. Um, and that's like our main website. And you can also of course find us on our YouTube, which is where we do most of that's we call YouTube is our dealership. Um, so <laughs> look up Janus Motorcycles on on YouTube, and we have not only videos that like tell you about the product, but that's also where all of our a lot of our maintenance information is. So we can, we have a lot of videos about how to do your valves or whatever for your bike. So you can explore a lot about the bikes that way. Um, and then of course we're on all the other social media stuff. So yeah, nice. and then for for our listeners, um, Creative Riding is a podcast that um, we'll have links to where it is, but um, they have a lot of folks on um, and, and they focus on kind of the, the stories that aren't told um, in the, in the mainstream. So it's a really fun place to check out interesting things related to motorcycles and I highly recommend it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, just picking up on, on the opportunity uh, 
presenting the opportunity to ride one of your fabulous motorcycles while you're out here. Thanks and, for giving us a tour and, and taking uh, this on a ride. <laughs> listen, ne- yeah, next time we won't get lost. We'll come over to my side. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I had a blast. Well, I hope you, I hope you, um, you know, we'll stay in contact and I hope you have a great rest of the quote winter. I hope it turns spring real soon and everyone's out there riding on a Janus soon. Oh, Junkie, getting lost is a success in the Janus rambling world, but uh, absolutely. Uh, Likewise, had a great time. Thank you so much, Junkie, and we'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.